Oh, I didn't see you there. <laughs> you startled me. Yeah, hi, it's me, Phil Gonzalez, and it's Saturday, and not only is it Saturday, but it is the Saturday of Easter weekend. It's also the last day of Passover. These two holidays sometimes overlap and cause no end of trouble in our household, because <laughs> we celebrate both, and one kind of contradicts the other if you know anything about basic theology, or biblical history, uh, the history of Judaism, the history of Christianity. It's all in weird conflict, but also the two stories kind of, in any case, I'm not getting into Easter. I'm not getting into Passover this year. What I am getting into is a little bit of publishing history that's directly related to not Easter necessarily, but religion, because I have on the show this week a very special guest. That's right. Back on Deep in Bear Country is the author and illustrator of those Berenstain Bear books we love so much, Mr. Mike Berenstain, and he is here to spin a tale of the publishing industry, to spin a tale of the religious publishing industry, to spin the Zondervan story. Or the Zonder Kids story. Not the whole story. There are elements of it that he's not allowed to discuss for legal reasons, but sort of the story from beginning to end how it came about, what the relationship was like, and why the Berenstain Bears are no longer appearing in Zonder Kids books as of very recently. Now, many readers might not even notice changes like this happening. You go to the bookstore, you find the books you want, and you buy them, but People looking closely at the covers and the publishing pages and just trying to find out where these books come from notice this kind of stuff. The collectors, in particular, notice this kind of stuff. Sometimes a book appears on the shelves and then gets pulled away unexpectedly and nobody knows where it went. Well, in this episode, we're going to find out where that book went, where these books came from, and, if we're lucky where these books are going. So please enjoy this very special episode, this very special interview with a very fantastic man, Mr. Mike Berenstain, as he joins me deep in bear country. Well, thanks for joining me today. You know, as far as as far as we had covered, we're going to be talking about the Zonder Kids saga, and uh, I get new listeners not regularly, but every so often, like a new batch will come in for whatever reason. And one of the big topics that people are always curious about, and I know that you and I have discussed this in the past, is sort of the Berenstain Bears transition into the world of religious children's fiction. So before we get, you know, fully into the story of of Zonder Kids, uh, if you just would like to refresh our listeners on sort of how that came about. It really started with a cartoon book my parents did in the 70s. Okay. They were doing uh, Berenstain Bears at that time, of course, but they also were still doing cartoons, like magazine and other cartoons. And they did two cartoon books, um, in that period, very different, but also rather similar. <laughs> One was called How to Teach Your Children About Sex Without Making a Complete Fool of Yourself, mm -hmm. which was quite popular and successful and very funny. It was about, the, it was a kind of a really 
the foibles of parenthood as, a, as dealing with sex education. And it, it built on the stuff my parents had done going back to the 50s about child rearing cartoons and family, you know, the, the, the humor around having kids, but it focused on sex education, which in the 70s was a big thing, a big, big, yeah. exciting topic. And it was basically about parents making fools of themselves and being humiliated by the whole experience of trying to tell their kids about sex. And that book was quite funny and popular. And they followed it up with a book called How to Teach Your Children About God Without Actually Scaring Them Out of Their Wits, <laughs> which I thought was a wonderful book. It was not very popular. It did not succeed like the other one, but it's a, it was a very, very funny book. And it, again, it dealt with the whole subject of parents who kind of are nominally religious and grew up in the faith, but then they have kids and they haven't been going to church or synagogue or whatever. And they have kids and the kids start asking them, you know, hard questions about God and the meaning of the world. And how do you, and it was sort of about, again, the humiliation and embarrassment of parents dealing with this problem. And I always loved that book. And when we started doing, when I started to get involved with the Bernstein Bears in around 1990 or even a little earlier, I had that book in the back of my mind just as, as, as because it had elements of it, fra a framing story in it, mm -hmm. really I thought would work as a kid's story. Yeah. Uh, the beginning, and that book eventually became the, the Berenstain Bears and the Big Question. Yeah. That's the origin of that book. The framing of that story where it starts off with sister asking what's God? and Papa giving her a big boy lecture and then Mama telling her simple things and it leads one thing leads to another about trying to explore this question. That's all from that original cartoon book. Okay. Uh, and when I began to become interest, involved with faith myself in that period in the 80s, 90s, and I was also getting involved with the, the Bernstein Bears, I thought, hey, this is an interesting, I always thought this was an interesting book. It would be interesting to translate this book into a Bernstein Bear book and that way I would kind of get to deal with the subject that interested me and also we go back to this funny story. I just thought it was a good mesh. And my parents liked that idea because they always loved that book. Yeah. And so we took it to Random House and it got published. And that oh. was the first, um, one of the, it was one of the first Berenstain Bear books that I wrote. Uh, now I wrote the first draft. I kind of did a, a version of it. And then my dad tweaked it. And then he and my mom did all the illustrations. But I was very involved with that. And I thought this, this was fun. This was interesting. I liked it. So now, was there was there any uh, resistance from the publisher? Any questions about tackling that kind of a topic? No, and that was Random House. Yeah, and not part of any particular religious line of books. It was just going to be part of because it is an unusual. It's not common, like even today, in just mainstream children's series. No, I, yeah, I I don't know. It just seemed like a natural thing to do at the time. Yeah, and it seemed okay to Random House and. I don't know. That's just that's how it went down. <laughs> Great. I don't think any of us gave it a lot of thought, frankly. <laughs> it wasn't there wasn't a lot of deep thinking going on with this. It was just like, let's do that. That'd be fun. Yeah. And so we did. And then when uh, we and I won't go into the whole saga, which I think we've talked about it, why we switched from Random House to Harper Collins in right. in conjunction with the PBS program. It was mm -hmm. all a big complicated publishing thing that happened. But of course, HarperCollins, uh, unlike Random House, at least at that time, HarperCollins had a, a religious division, which at that time was just Zondervan. Now it's expanded. But at that time, Zondervan was owned by HarperCollins, and Zondervan had this children's program, Zonder Kids. And so when we started doing a book with HarperCollins, it, and I was aware of the success and popularity of the books published by Zondervan, I thought, oh, that's interesting. We did this kind of trial run, one-off with Random House, the big question, maybe it would make sense to try to do a little separate line of books like that, but for 
published by a separate division with HarperCollins, we'd go on with the HarperCollins books, basically continuing with what we were doing with the main books at Random House, and then, and also try new formats, which we did successfully with HarperCollins. But then also do some, I was thinking like a few books that we yeah. do with Zondervan, and it would be just on kind of simple faith and spirituality issues. And the first four were, uh, and we proposed this to HarperCollins, and they proposed it to Zondervan, and Zondervan liked it. And it, it took a long time for this oh. to be cogitated. Yeah. It started as soon as we began to, to work with HarperCollins, which would have been around 2003 or four. Uh, my dad was involved with the early planning and thinking about this, and my mom, my dad passed away in 2005, and the first books didn't get published until 2008. So it was a long mm. development process in these four first books. And they were the golden rule, say their prayers, go to Sunday school, and God loves you. And they were very simple books conceptually. They were basically kind of, the golden rule really didn't have much to do with religion at all, frankly, yeah. about the golden rule. Right. And it quoted the golden rule from the Bible, but of course, the golden rule exists as a piece of morality and philosophy throughout human culture. It's not uniquely yeah. religious. So that was really the beginning point of it. And then, of course, say your prayers, dealt with issue of, you know, simple children saying their prayers at bedtime and kind of questions that come up about that. Uh, you know, why do we say prayers? And kind of childlike answers to that, thinking about that. And, and so on. It was, it was very, they were very simple. And I, yeah. I thought of this as kind of a really spirituality 101 for little kids. And they were, but the problem was, the problem, <laughs> good problem was that they were immensely successful right away. Much more so. I thought that they would be a niche kind of publishing program sold almost exclusively into Christian bookstores. Right. That's how I visualized it. And yet they wound up being distributed generally uh, at that time, as you know, uh, General, general bookstores were going through a big expansion of religious uh, yeah. marketing. Barnes & Noble began to have uh, like big religious sections. And so, and I didn't even, I mean, as I say, I thought about this back in 2003 and four. This is something that developed during the gestation period of the series. And so the fact that the books then went out into the general marketplace and became so successful was not something I anticipated. But of course, once it happened, you know, we feel, well, hey, that's great. People like these books, we'll do more. So the Berenstain Bears just happened to be this mainstream, well-known uh, book series that happened to start a series of religious books at around the same time that the religious branch of the publishing industry was taking off. Exactly. And so they just, they, it was like a few happy accidents just all came together. Yeah. And then uh, Zondervan, of course, was very excited about it. Yeah. And they wanted lots of more books right away. And of course, I, I could supply, do more books from scratch, but they wanted so many that that's the origin of the adaptation of some yeah. out of print books to that format occurred because they wanted to put like a dozen books into print right away. Well, mm. I didn't have a dozen books, but they said, well, do you have any out of print books that the content might be adaptable to a religious message? And I said, well, here's what we got. Let's, let's think about it. And that's the origin of those books. So it was never an option for them to bring in a different creative team to do religious books. This was always going to stay. No, I worked with their editorial team very closely and they would make suggestions and we worked mm -hmm. back and forth, but virtually all the writing at that point I was doing. Yeah. Um, they put together some books in-house with their own editorial people. And I just kind of acted as editor, like the, I think the, the, the devotional book, which was okay. the prayers and mm -hmm. things that was developed in house and the, the, the uh, cookbooks that they did. 
but I never really understood the religious connection there. But I always wanted to do a cookbook. Yeah, they wanted to do a cookbook. That's great. <laughs> I love the idea of doing a cookbook, except and the fact that it really the idea that it had some spiritual connection was completely dragged in from left field. That didn't hurt anybody. Right. A cookbook is a nice cookbook. Same thing happened with the How to Draw book. Which oh yeah. I had always wanted to do How to Draw the Bernstein Bears, and nobody was interested. And we had suggested that. I've suggested that over and over again to both Random House and a couple of columns, How to Draw the Bernstein Bears, and they said, Yeah, this is it. nah. And then Zonovit came up and suggested it. And I thought, well, that's got nothing to do with religion or faith, but I want to do this book. So. Right. <laughs> so, so you, this starts off, it's the you know early 2000s uh -huh. and you're, and you're getting this going. They start demanding more and more books. At what point does this become, do you begin producing, do the Berenstains begin producing kind of original religious books while also producing original uh, sort of mainstream books? Well, that was happening all simultaneously from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, because the, the HarperCollins series launched in 2005, I guess, four yeah. months, around that day exactly. And then the Zondervan launched in 2008, and I was I and my mother at that point, mm -hmm. we were producing full lines of both series right away. Wow. And of course, this goes, comes into the, the problems that develop with Zondervan, which I'm a little, as I've mentioned to you in our email exchange, I'm a little constrained what I can say about that because of contractual mm -hmm. obligations, but I can talk around those uh, contractual. Sure, sure. <laughs> so what happened is that um, at that, it's really kind of a, a cautionary tale about being a creative person and being in business. Okay. And a lot of people in what we would laughingly call creative fields, which I think includes me, even though I'm doing basically commercial children's publishing, is still I write and illustrate books. Right. I'm not. I'm not. You know, doing ballet or uh, I'm not doing fine arts, but you know, I am. I'm in that general field. Mm -hmm. And most people in those fields, they wind up being in some way self-employed. I mean, you can wind up working a salaried position for a corporation, like if you're a Disney animator or something like that, uh, or if you're an art teacher at a school or university. But most people in my line of work were kind of you know, gig people. You know, you're, you're, you're doing your own jobs and your own accounting and your own bookkeeping and selling yourself. And yeah. that's what most people in our line of work do. And it's really a very problematic thing because the two skills have nothing to do with each other. I, I doubt there's even any overlap in the brain between the creative part and the business part. Uh, and, and to do one well and the other well is really a weird mess. Um, it's sort of like, imagine you had some, if, in order to be a lawyer, you had to be able to play the piano. <laughs> right. I, mean, I mean, not just pick out a tune, I mean, really play it competently, yeah. professional level. You'd have a, a very different cast of characters being lawyers than we have now. They'd be a very different group of people. <laughs> and so the same thing happens with the creative field. If, if what you, in order to function in the world of, of selling your work, you have to be a functional business person, that excludes a lot of people who probably are very, very good artists. Yeah. And also includes a lot of people who are very good business people who maybe aren't such good artists, but who are very good at selling their art. And you know, this thing goes back to ancient times. I remember reading in Vasari, the Renaissance art historian, he, mm -hmm. he was an artist himself. So he was always interested in the business side of art in the Renaissance. And he would talk about artists who ran a big, big workshop and they sold a lot of paintings, but they weren't really very good painters, they were okay. Yeah. And then he would talk about other artists who were great mad geniuses who were completely incompetent business and wind up starting to death. And he was very interested in talking. So I think that's because it's the 16th century. Yeah, It hasn't changed at all. So. I think I'm a competent artist and I'm also a competent businessman. Hmm. And so that's kind of the mix I've had. Um, but on the other hand, sometimes 
you can't do both, or it's very difficult mm -hmm. to do both. And we all go through periods in our lives where there's a lot going on in our lives, both positive and negative. Yeah. And it's very hard to juggle everything, to keep all those balls in the air. Or I always think about the old vaudeville act with the guy spinning the plates. Yep. And you try to keep you know, how many plates can you spin before they start crashing? Right. Well, they start to crash at certain points. And in this period, like 2010, 2012, I was trying to do all this work. With my, my father had died. Uh, my mother and I were working together. We had hired uh, an assistant to work with us because it was now just two of us and we couldn't do it all ourselves. We were trying to figure out how to keep functioning at the same level of delivering product that we had been. It was hard. And then various things happened. One is I got divorced. I, and it wasn't really my idea to get divorced. So that was very traumatic. Mm. <laughs> I got, I met somebody and remarried. That was very good, but also a lot going on. Right. My mother died. <laughs> my mother died a few months before I remarried. Wow. And so it was really wild. And uh, I neglected the business side. I, I tended to rely much more than I had before on the various business associates, lawyers and agents and other people who I work with. And I, I would just say, you figure it out. Mm. And that sounds like it should be a reasonable thing to do, but it's not. Uh, and what happened is that I wanted to do more board books. You just showed that shape, that peekaboo board book. Yeah. We've never done, the Baron St. Barry's have never appeared successfully in a lot of board books over the years. The Random House did uh, some adaptations of bright and early books that were successful as board books, like Inside, Outside, Upside Down. Yeah. They have been successfully adapted as board books, but we never did original books as board books that, were, that stayed in print. We tried it various times. It just was always a flaw. And that was frustrating. I figured, why not? When we started doing books with HarperCollins, they tried a couple of board-shaped books. It was Brother Bear's Dinosaurs and mm, yeah. another one, I forget, one with Brother and one with Sister. They immediately went out of print. They couldn't sell them. And I don't really know if that was the content of the book, books or just HarperCollins distribution system or what. Uh, and so HarperCollins, they figured, okay, we tried board books with Bernstein Bears that were done. So they never brought it up again. Yeah. Zondervan, however, I guess around 2010, 2011, just when my life is falling apart or getting very complicated, shall we say? Yeah. Um, they said, hey, now that we're doing so well with, with Living Lights books, with the, the regular books, the paperbacks and other and hardbacks too, how about we look at board books and other uh, shape books, board books, and what we used to call novelty books, mm. fuzzy books, yeah, squeezy books, you know, that go squeak, they, all those kind of things. Nowadays, the publisher doesn't call them novelty books because that's too descriptive that's too accurate <laughs> they call them, i think they call them value-added books <laughs> oh, there you go. anybody actually know what they are right some euphemistic term um but what they are is novelty books and board books and they said how about we try that and i said great i wanted that's something i'm interested in doing so i put together a whole proposal like you know 20 different concepts 30 different concepts with descriptions of all these different kind you know the bernstein bears you know Fly on a cloud board. It was, there were dozens and dozens of very good, solid concepts from yes. experience in children's publishing. This, this is what would work as board books for very young children. And they said, great, this is great. We love these. And we'll, we're going to look at these and study these. And then I go on doing, doing other things in my life and work. And, you know, six months have passed and I heard nothing from them. So I, I kind of, oh, well, they'll get to it. You know, 10 months have passed, no response. So I send an, an email to the editor in question says, how about them board books? You know, what about that? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've been thinking about that, but we're not sure about exactly what the price point would be or what the marketplace and the distribution system, and we're investigating that, we're researching it. Okay. So, you know, like another six months goes by. 
I bring it up again. Like, huh, how about board books? You said you wanted board books. I did this whole proposal. And you say, and, well, we're still thinking about it. Our marketing people are looking at that and our sales people are getting up numbers and blah, blah, blah. Like, like two years ago, okay? they just, no. So I feel like, I'm not just, okay. They're taking a lot of balls here. You know, they're not yeah. swinging away. So <laughs> I'm not gonna just keep lobbing up the, the pumpkins to right. swing at. If they're not gonna take a swing, then I'm, I'm gonna consider my options. So I thought, well, I could take the board book form. Since HarperCollins doesn't wanna do board books and Zondervan says they wanna do board books, so they obviously don't really wanna do board books. I feel I have no reason not to take the format to somebody else. Now I had mm. no contractual obligation to keep board books with either publisher. However, right. as a kind of professional practice, you give your primary publisher first shot at anything. That's just sort of, sort of industry standard. Yeah. in order for people not to be too ticked off and have things go. It's just kind of professional etiquette yeah. in the publishing business. And so, but the problem I had was that I really couldn't just take a little slice of Bernstein Bear publishing to one of the main publishers, like, like Simon & Schuster or something like that, because they don't, they're not in the business of just publishing board books. Of a, they would want the whole format, the, the franchise, they would call it. Yeah. You know, if I said to them, you know, hey, I, I want to take, just as when we went from Random House to HarperCollins, what made them excited was that they're going to publish a whole line of different kinds of Bernstein Bear books. So it, my options were limited, but I was aware of the publisher Ideals out of Nashville, which although nominally a religious publisher, they publish, have always published a lot of different kinds of kids books. Okay. Not just religious books. So I thought, well, they really have always had always focused and specialized on board books and similar kind of books. They published other books as well, but they really were like a specialty board book publisher. Okay. So I contacted them and I had a meeting with them and they said, yeah, we'd, we'd like to do that. So I had my... I had my agency start working on discussing contract with them. And I sent an email to HarperCollins and to Zondervan telling them that I proposed to do this, to okay. put board books with ideals. HarperCollins wrote back saying, yeah, fine, who cares, basically. They, we're fine with that. Yeah. We're not, we don't want to play board books. So that was cool. Zondervan did not reply. Okay. So I should have, at that point, insisted that they reply or made some kind of formal communication through my agency, but I didn't. Because I figured, okay, they're just basically blowing me off like they've been for years now on this subject. Um, so at this point, my agency begins to negotiate with Ideals, okay. which I will start calling Worthy because Ideals merged with Worthy at some point, different publisher in Nashville. So to avoid confusion, I'm going to start using the term Worthy because otherwise right. it's going to get very mixed up. So <laughs> they begin working on a contract with Worthy. Now, this is where the real perfect storm stuff starts to come Okay. cautionary tale about the in, incompatibility of being somebody who does creative work and where my dad used to say it's well sometimes I wear my beret and sometimes I wear my green eye shade mm. the mm. bookkeeper's eye shade yeah, yeah, yeah. how he would describe it you wear your creative hat and you wear your business hat so uh, the business hat part did not work well for me here. Mm. And I don't really like my business hat anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't like wearing my business hat. I can do it, but I don't like it. Yeah. That's, and I think my dad kind of liked the business hat. Oh, okay. So what did I do? Anyway, um, so my agency, but the Bears and Bears had been represented by an agent from its outset, one, one gentleman. Okay. Uh, and he was retiring at this point in this is around 2012 or so. And as part of this, another junior agent was helping him, sort of shadowing him okay. to take over certain things that he was going to be retiring from, including Bernstein Bears. Unfortunately, 
this meant that this, la- this was the last contract that this gentleman negotiated for the Rosenstein Bears. And unfortunately, neither he nor the junior agent nor I really played adequate attention to the content of the contract. And there were terms in it which were uh, dealt with certain conditions of exclusivity in the mm. board book format, meaning that uh, Worthy had the right, the exclusive right to publish Bernstein Bear books in the board book format under certain circumstances. Okay. And I thought I knew that, understood that, and I thought it was basically a time frame. And it was. There was a period of time where they had yeah. it considered, and then that would expire. And that was true, but there were other kind of fine print terms which I didn't understand, and which it turns out neither of the other agents involved really understood. Because it was kind of full, it was this transitional thing, one handing off and the, the baton got dropped, fell in the cracks, you know, all those. Yeah. And of course, I was so distracted, I didn't really, I just looked at this contract and I looked, it, and it was, an, it was not a standard publishing contract because I guess because Worthy is out of Nashville, they did different. It wasn't like your normal, typical boilerplate New York publishing contract. Okay. It was a little odd which also has other ramifications that are positive later, but this was very negative. Um, and so I didn't really understand it. And I didn't really sit down as I should have and go over it line by line. And these contracts are gigantic boilerplate things. And so you don't want to have to do that, but that's yeah. what you have to do. It's no fun, yeah. but you really got to go, at least you got to go over it and at least understand what the subject matter of the different thing. Even if you don't really fully understand the, the legalese, you have to understand what it's talking about and where everything is dealt with in the contract. And I didn't really fully understand that. So this exclusivity term became like a time bomb ticking away in this contract, because as soon as I signed that contract, I was in violation of other existing contracts with other publishers, it turned out. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and then it got worse. So what happened is that the I, I entered into agreement with Worthy and they began to publish board books. And these books were immediately successful. So I thought, great, I've solved the board book Bernstein Bear issue. And some of them had some religious content, but some of them didn't. They just were kind of nice sport books. Yeah. Um, at this point, as soon as they begin to come out and be successful, so I did an initial batch for them, and then I agreed to do another batch. So the first batch came out, and I'm beginning to work on the second batch. I think it was two groups of four or five or something like that. Yeah. And so the first group come out and are published and are successful out in the marketplace. Um, Zondervan is now tipped off. They had many opportunities to publish board books with me. I told them that I was publishing with Worthy, but now that they're actually out and successful in the marketplace, now they are mad. And they begin to be very surly on this subject about, hey, you should be doing board books with us, not with Worthy. And of course, through my agency, through the new junior agent, who now is my agent from this, begin to talk to them and very confidently is, you know, engaged in kind of abrasive badinage with them, you know, kind of batting the ball back and forth as agents do. But they keep being surly and angry and angrier and angrier and angrier. And that's really annoying. It's a kind yeah. of, this, I didn't want this kind of friction to develop, but it is developing. In the meantime, I'm really not enjoying working with Worthy or the board books mm. from a creative point of view. I don't like what they want to do. And they don't really like what I want to do. They want to do board books, which are this complete bland pavlov. Like okay. the sweet little bunny met the sweet chicky and the sweet bunny said, do you, did you, do you want to go meet the sweet ducky? And they went to little ducky land. <laughs> it's like playing can't, you know, candy land with your toddler, that kind of experience. Just like, Ugh. <laughs> it wasn't that I wanted to do wild, crazy, zany stuff. I wanted to do, these books were very appropriate for three, two, one-year-old kids. They were nice, but they weren't 
just the same thing that everybody else had done a thousand times. Right. They had a little bit of creativity in them. And they kept fighting with me. I want to make it a little more interesting, a little different. They say, well, that's a little too complicated. And we don't think our audience will really appreciate that. So I was getting pretty fed up with these guys. What had they published already from the Berenstain Bears at this we point? We did the Sleepy Time book. Okay. Did, um, I think it was about... Uh, I think it was called Clean Up Time, the Clean House kind of book. We did, they were very mild, pleasant books. These are yeah, not, yeah, no, I know these, these books. Like, they're, they're crazy books. <laughs> it's just that they had a little bit too much content or something. Okay. And I wanted, like, I wanted to do a, a numbers book, which had something, it wasn't just one, two, three, four, five, six. It was, it was like it was going to have some characters in it. And yeah. it, they were going to be more like the, the bright and early books was what I was proposing. Oh, okay. Which have, are very successful kinds of books for very young children. And that was kind of my model, but that was like too crazy for them, too interesting. And so I was struggling with that. So Zondervan, one of my main publishers is mad at me. I'm kind of mad at Worthy. So I figured, well, maybe this is, maybe I should just figure out some way to, to shift this around. I mean, uh, I wanted to publish board books with HarperCollins and Zondervan in the first place. Going to Ideals Worthy was a second choice. Um, so I said to my agent, that, well, tell, tell HarperCollins and Worthy Book that if they're willing to commit to a, both of them, to a line, you know, make a, make a statement that they're committed to the line of parents that we've proven that, that they can work in the marketplace. Yeah. And that's why you want them now. That's <laughs> right. why you're mad because I proved, but, but we have, but we can't publish them for a while because Worthy has this exclusivity for a time period to protect their initial entry into the marketplace. And my agent said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so she proposed this to both HarperCollins and Zondervan, and they went for it. And I said, I'll, I said, I'll retire my relationship with Worthy if you commit to this. And they both said, yeah, great. Okay, they went for it. Great, wonderful. Uh, and of course, what we didn't know is there's this ticking time bomb in the contract with Worthy, which means that, no, it's not just a time period. There are other aspects to it, which I can't okay. get into, but there was a gotcha element to it in the final, okay. period, which none of us really understood. We made a mistake. I made a yeah. mistake. My agents made a mistake. We made a mistake. Okay, that's what happened. It wasn't anything intentional. It just was a dumb mistake because we didn't read the final pretty carefully. And so what happens is that Zondervan immediately wants to do this uh, Poems and Prayers book as a board mm -hmm. book. Other ones too. HarperCollins begins to, we begin to work on books with HarperCollins. The Poems and Prayers book was the first one in, in, in the pipeline. The other ones were in the works. They were in various stages of development. But the Poems and Prayer book was actually scheduled for publication and was going to the printers and going to be shipped and yep. announced. And while after it had been announced on Amazon, my agents get a letter from Worthy saying that we're in violation of their contract and we have to, this book cannot be published. Yeah. That we breach of contract. And uh, so we, my agent contacts them and we go and they, we look, we study the contract and say, oh, they're right. We're in violation of the contract. So through my agent, agency, we contact Worthy and say, well, look, we, you're correct. We, we're sorry. This was simply a mistake on our part. We're sorry about this. Uh, can we negotiate a settlement, a financial settlement, because you have been harmed and we accept that and we'll pay you money. You know, that's well, what else are you going to do? And they said, no, hmm. we don't. We want this book not to be published. That's all we care about. Wow. No, no board books published. And I said, and I said well, okay, how about we share revenue with him? We, you can have a share of the royalties and you, maybe we, you could work on a co-publishing arrangement with Zondervan and HarperCollins. We would bring them into it. And you know, let's negotiate this because it's not, it's just a mistake. And we realize that you have financial interests which have been harmed and we, we want to honor that. And no, we just, we just want you not to publish that book. 
So, okay. So, okay, we got to tell Zondervan and HarperCollins that we are all about to be sued. They're going to sue me. They're going to sue the agency. They're going to sue HarperCollins. They're going to sue Zondervan if this book gets published. Any of these books get published. So at this point, I get into the kind of the vault, the contractual vault. But what happens is that the books don't get published. Yeah. And that uh, that is not as, it turns out that what happened from my point of view, from a financial and business point of view, is not nearly as bad as being sued by Worthy for $10 million, but it wasn't any, it wasn't a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. But still we worked it out. Okay. Okay. Now this is the prayers. And that's at the point at which the book, which had been printed and was about to be shipped, got withdrawn and canceled. And a couple of them got out. And a couple of them got out. This is most that were, book. Most of them were shredded. Were, yeah. Were but pulped. This is that little book of prayers and poems uh, that, I was actually like was witnessing. It, 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 the con- there was a yellow color version and now mm-hmm. there's a blue color. The yellow color version was pulped. Yeah. Except for a few random strays that got loose. <laughs> it's, and that was yeah. because of this, we were going to be sued by work. Okay. This ridiculous comedy of errors with the publishing and the board book terms and everything. So all the, the board books that were going to be published by Zondervan and HarperCollins got canceled. Okay. That's, that's life. This is bad, but this happened. And we're going to move on with our lives and publishing and go on publishing uh, with, with the other stuff. Now, 10 months later, Worthy is bought by Hachette. Hachette is a big publisher. One of, okay. One of the big five. They own Little Brown. Well, big four now. Oh, wow. Uh, because Random House bought Simon & Schuster. But anyway, Hachette owns Little Brown. It's a French company. It owns lots of publishers. And uh, so it turns out that because this contract with Worthy was fun, a weird contract, one of the weird things was bad this whole exclusivity complexity. But one, another one of the weird, thing, weird things was good, and that was that it turned out in the original contract with Ideals, that if Ideals merged, and there were certain ways in which it defined this, if it merged with another publisher, all the copyrights it held would be transferred to the new merged entity. Okay. And when Ideals went with Worthy, it was a merger, technically. Like two mates, two things, they, they kind of symbiotically combined. Yeah. However, when Worthy went with Hachette, it was purchased. Okay. And the terms of the contract did not permit the transfer of copyright from Worthy to Hachette without the author's agreement. Huh. So they came to me and say, will you agree to transfer? And I said, sure, if you cancel all that exclusivity stuff right. that's preventing me from publishing new board books. And they said, sure, fine, great. Yeah. <laughs> all they cared about was completing this deal to sell to Hachette. They didn't care about anything else at that point. Their priorities had totally shifted. So the whole thing is kind of gone. The whole issue of what you can't publish board books is wow. like vanished like that. Yeah. With the stroke of the pen. So that we naturally, my agent naturally tells Harper Collins and Zondervan, hey, you know all that stuff about you can't publish board books and we had to trash them and cancel them. That's all gone. And they say, great, we're going to publish board books. So that's where the second, the new version of Poems and Prayers comes in. That immediately Zondervan begins to publish that. And great. At this point, we begin to point out that the settlement that was arrived at, and I have to be very careful what I say here, the settlement that was arrived at to permit the cancellation of the board books being published by Zondervan and HarperCollins was challenging for me in my business, okay. children, shall we say. And that now that we've, it's like no, 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 no harm, no foul, you know, it's all been wiped off, it's gone. Maybe we can look, revisit this issue. And the result was at the other end of it, about a year later, I decided I wasn't going to publish any more books with Zondervan. Mm. We had reached, I'd reached the end of the pipeline 
contractual obligation to Zondervan and HarperCollins. And I decided I was going to go on publishing with HarperCollins, but I was done with Zondervan. Wow. Because the discussions, which I can't talk about, of course. didn't go well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, they, I was not a happy camper. I was fine with the initial thing when, when they couldn't when they couldn't publish board books. I was I was okay with what had happened because it was basically my fault and my agency's fault. Yeah. Neither Zondervan or HarperCollins had any that had done anything to cause this. But once we had taken away the cause of the whole problem, then it was a different situation. Okay. Yeah. It is fascinating that it it does all center on this little book of prayers and poems. Yeah. This uh, rather, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a nice book. It's, it's rather unassuming. It doesn't seem like the thing that would like. I, I wasn't assuming anything. <laughs> Why the the argument it... of that book was that I found a bunch of poems my dad, mm-hmm. yeah, and they had never been published, and I wanted to get them published. Well, they weren't enough to make a book by themselves, so I proposed to I think to both Random House and Harper Collins that we develop a book using these, and they yeah nah they didn't want it. Yeah. So I thought, well, hmm, maybe I can put together a lot of spiritual poems, write some myself, sort of package them with the old poems my dad wrote, yeah, and then say, and rub, publish it with Zondervan as the Poems and Prayers book, and they went for that. So really, it was a kind of a nostalgic episode. A lot of what I do now has to do with old guy nostalgia. <laughs> and I've been doing that for a while. I, I like to revive, and there are a lot of other things I'm doing like that now. And I think yeah. you and other people who are real fans of the Bernstein Bears will be very pleased with them when they come out. Oh boy. <laughs> the, old, the old vault stuff, which we're putting together and getting published. Well, I had written, I mean, I had written to you a little while back just asking about the sudden reappearance of, of these older books, like from the Run Amuck Dog Show to... Uh... Yeah, well, that, that, was, that was really Zondervan pushing. Yeah. They wanted, they wanted old thing, out of print things. But what I'm finding is things that never have been published in any form. Oh, so actual like, wow, this has never seen the light of day stuff. That I'm that never really developed into a finished book, mm-hmm. but there were elements of it that are just so great. The yeah. art or the story or the idea that we're with both uh, Random House and HarperCollins, I'm developing them as new full published books. So uh, is there, is there like original art that's going to be seeing? Yes. Wow. Uh, and you, so you said that like a lot of what you're doing is is nostalgia based at this point. Um, I guess my question for you is, you know, at at this when you when you sort of look at the where the Berenstain Bears are now, uh, it's obviously still a a thriving entity. It's still it you're still producing books. You're still, uh, I mean, will you still be producing religious books? Is that going well, to still be a thing? I, what I did is I went, uh, and that goes back to the original idea of the books, the Living Lights books. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were going to be these very simple kind of spirituality one-on-one books, and then they kind of morphed into something else. We did books yeah. about the Easter story and you know complex questions of faith. And it really went off kind of ran amok. And I I like those books, but they wasn't really the original. It kind of went off in this path less taken that I I, I didn't know quite what to make of that. But anyway, it it worked. I liked them, but it really wasn't where I had wanted to go with this in the first place. It kind of took on a life of its own. And what I'm doing now, and they just started to be released, is I'm doing a, a series with Random House, new books, uh, called Gifts of the Spirit, and each one is a, a gift. The gifts, gifts of the Spirit, caring, gifts mm-hmm. of the Spirit, sharing, gifts of the Spirit, uh, other other gifts of the Spirit, trust. And what is the, and what what would you say is the like elevator pitch behind these? These are books, they're very much like the Golden Rule book, the first Zonovan book. 
They're books about simple issues of family, friendship, morality, ethics, but with a biblical quotation that they're hung on and, mm. and kind of spun around. Yeah. And taking that as a point of departure. So they're spiritual, they're faith-based, but they're not denominational. They're not, uh, you know, uh, they're not really, they're not tutorial. They're not teaching about, they're not really teaching about, they're not really Sunday school books. Mm. They are, they, I'm sure they could be used by Sunday schools, but they're not uh, pedagogical, pedagogic, I can't say it, pedagogical about religious practice and theory, yeah. and doctrine. They're not doctrine. Uh, and that's really what I wanted to do with spiritual books in the first place. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, you, uh, Random House is bringing them out. They're just starting to be published. And it may be that people, who knows if they want that or not. Right. <laughs> We're going to find out. Well, for you personally, like where does that, where, where inside you does that come from? This this desire to to produce these kind of books, uh, books well, that address. That's the kind of religious person I am. When I go to church, what I like best is the children's sermon. We're talking about, you know, little lambs and things. I'm a very simple person spiritually. And it's not that I'm ignorant about religion. I know a lot about religious history. I mean, you know, I read the Bible, I know. But my emotionally, my spiritual core, it's a fairly simple thing about, you know, God is love. And that's really what I like to focus on, yeah. the, that aspect of spirituality and faith. And uh, that's what these books do. And I, I, th- I find that... Uh, I find that fascinating because uh, because and you've you've brought this up in the past the sort of like weird knee jerk reaction some people have to Berenstain Bears religious books seeing them as sort well, of I don't I don't think that's surprising I mean I, I I hoped it wouldn't be too extreme and I don't think it has been too extreme I don't think you know when I look at people's reaction you know online to it it seems fairly mild mm. I, I think because when people actually look at the books and their content I, they they are not they don't really have a lot of things that people who are not religious would object to. Right. They have, they have their, they have religious content. And if you don't want any religious content at all, if you find religion intrinsically offensive, then they're going to be offensive. But in in other respects, I don't think I intend or put a lot of, I don't have any intention to do anything that's going to be pesky to people. (laughs) And people, people make assumptions about religion. Right. They look at a book that has religious content or Christian content and they say, Oh, this is evangelical. Mm. And I guess first place people, and I don't want to get too technical, people naturally confuse the term evangelical with evangelistic two words from the same derivation, but they mean totally different things. And also they don't know what evangelical means. (laughs) They think evangelical means uh, somebody talking about their faith, that if you hear about it, if somebody's talking about it in public in some way, that's evangelical because they think it means evangelizing, proselytizing. Yeah. Evangelical in modern America means a certain branch of conservative Protestantism with a very specific definition of, of its ideas and doctrine. And me personally, by that standard, I wouldn't be considered an evangelical Christian. I'm really what's called a mainline Protestant. Mm. In, that's in, in religious talk. Yeah. I belong to it. I, I was baptized into the, the main Presbyterian church and I go to an Episcopalian church. Mm. And I've also been a Quaker. Those are all mainline Protestant denominations. They're never defined as evangelical. It's not that I think evangelicalism is bad. <laughs> I wouldn't condemn in some way. That just doesn't happen to be who I am. Yeah. Uh, the books I do, I think, appeal to a broad range of different people of faith, including evangelical people, including Protestants, including Catholics, including Greek Orthodox or Copts. You know, it, there's nothing in here that anybody with a nominal Christian faith would find objection to. Right. If you're Jewish or if you're Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist, 
you're not going to be particularly interested in the references to Christianity in these books. But I don't think that there's anything in there that is offensive to other religions. Right. You know, in terms of, the, I'm not saying other religions are bad in these books. Right. Although, frankly, I'm sure that a lot of people who buy and appreciate the religious books I'm doing do think other religions are bad. That's, that's probably, I wouldn't, you know, doubt that. But that's not what I think. Right. <laughs> and that's not the message where I'm trying to get across. Now, I'm, I'm going to be releasing this episode. This is because we're discussing the, his, the history of the religious books. I'm releasing this episode uh, the week of Easter, the weekend of Easter. Uh, and so before we before we go, I just do want you had mentioned years ago when we talked uh, just sort of the 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 Berenstain Bears relationship to uh, putting out Easter books, the, the number of Easter books that the Berenstain Bears yeah. have put out. Yeah, uh, it's weird. And how you were a little hesitant about even touching hesitant. that story. I refused to do an Easter book. And that, see, that's, and I talk about the way Living Lights with Zonder Kids morphed. That, that was one of it. And it wasn't that I think that those, I, I don't like those books that I did. I think they're good mm -hmm. books. And I'm glad I did them. But it really wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't what I, that's what the publisher wanted. Yeah. And I think I came up with a way to do them that works for the Bernstein Bears and works for people. And they're very popular books. And I like yeah. them. And I'm very pleased and proud of them. But that's really not where I, what I wanted to focus on. Yeah. You know, I wanted to focus on these kind of simple spiritual ethical messages. Yeah. And well, I'm glad that's I'm glad what that you're going to do now. And maybe people don't even want those books. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're finally able to get back to that. I mean, it sounds I, like the... I've enjoyed I've enjoyed doing the ones that we're I think we're committed to doing six or eight. So those are going to get published anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Uh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about some really weird publishing stuff. I love it. I love it. Most and, uh, people, they just glaze over. <laughs> I do, you know, I have listeners who are just like, I don't, I don't understand this subject at all. And I have listeners who are, who are just fascinated by the fact that this is just something that people don't know about. So, you know. Well, I really like doing children's books. I like drawing pictures. And I like telling stories. And I really don't like conducting, being a businessman. <laughs> I have to do it. And yeah. in fact, and so one thing I've learned from the whole debacle with the board books is that the fact that I don't like it is no excuse. I have to do it. I have to <laughs> buckle down and take my medicine. Yeah. I'm very careful about that ever since. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Mike. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, this will be coming out uh, on Easter weekend and we'll see, uh, well, we'll see how it goes. Happy Easter to everyone. Happy Easter to you too. Thank you. And that was Mr. Mike Berenstain. Thank you once again to him for joining me on my show. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining me here on my show. I couldn't do it without the support of my listeners, the emotional support, the well, basically the emotional support. Uh, it's 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 wonderful to hear from you. It's wonderful to get comments from you. So let me know what you think about the show. You can go to Twitter, at uh, BStainBearCast, and uh, write to me there. Or you can write to me at BerenstainBearCast at gmail.com. Or you can go to BerenstainBearCast.org, which seems to be where most people are going these days, and comment on the blog itself. Just find the entry of the episode that you just listened to and make a comment on it. People are doing that, and it's, it's fascinating to hear what people have to say uh, but otherwise I hope you enjoyed this interview I hope you enjoyed a little peek behind the curtain at the publishing industry and I hope you had either a great Passover or are going to have a great Easter or just a nice weekend if that's the kind of person you are uh, otherwise take care of yourselves and I will see you all next time deep in bear country <laughs> <laughs>